Let's, uh, let's pray. Oh. Lord, again, we are so grateful for your power and your might. Lord, for we were without hope. Lord, we were lost, stuck in our sin. Lord, you made a way. And Lord, you took all the weight of our sin, all the punishment, the entire penalty upon yourself. And you suffered the cross. You died, you rose again. That we could do likewise. And Lord, we rejoice in it today, for you are so good, so very, very good to us. Please meet us here. Lord, I ask you would speak through me. Lord, and that I, uh, I'd be, just get out of the way. Holy Spirit, say what you want to say. Um, and may I not hinder anything. And Lord, give your body ears to hear Lord, for what it is that you would have for them to hear this morning. And Lord, may your people listen with expectation. Lord, for that word, whatever it may be, wherever they're at. Lord, that they would know that that was for them. So be blessed, Lord. Amen. Okay. Um, for those of you who have been with us here as I've been teaching for a bit. Um, oh, anybody's visitors, I am not Brian. Okay. And, well, I guess everybody knows that. Um, but teaching through uh, the book of Philippians, and we're still in the first chapter, and yes, I do get heckled a little bit for not covering much ground, but is what it is. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Does anybody need a Bible? If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. And this fine young gentleman will, right up, right up here, for Susan. Thanks, guys. I've got a rookie at the helm. Um, so, Book of Philippians, um, the, the, again, this is a church that Paul has an incredible relationship with. They've, they've supported him uh, faithfully throughout his, his, his work, his ministries. Oop, did I lose? Am I still there? Okay. Um, and so he's writing this letter to them. And this, uh, the timing of this is about 10 years after he planted this church. And um, so we went through the first part, you know, um, it's Paul and Timothy are writing this letter to the Philippian church. And, you know, the opening verses there are just high, exciting, and just encouragement from, from Paul to the, the Philippian church, and, um, which is, uh, you know, in and of itself, is, is pretty cool because Paul's sitting in jail. And uh, he could still have such a heart uh, in that. I mean, we'll get into that some more this morning. So if you'd open your Bibles to Philippians 1, we'll start at uh, verse 12. And Tasha, I didn't read those first 11 for you on your behalf, my friend. <laughs> so, let's so, verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, 
having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer in the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I choose, what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to part and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. In being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So, here we sit. Okay, and Paul, Paul's writing this letter, and he, he kind of switches gears here, and it's like he's... Um, it, it's almost like there may be a question from the Philippian church. But what's going on, Paul? You know... Um, you know, we hear these things going on. And of course, their experience with him is, you know, they, they saw miracles, you know, and the, the jailbreak and the, the, you know, that, that whole story about the jailer getting saved. And just really awesome things going on. And, uh, in, in, of course, as he goes through his journeys, I'm sure that filters back to the, the Philippians. But um, in verse 12, right, he says, But I want you to know, brethren, the things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So, well, you know, what are these things? Because, um, you know, it would be a legit question. You're in, you're in jail. What, what are you up to, Paul? What, 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 what's happening? And um, so Paul goes on to, to explain. In, uh, I, I pause a bit, though, still just for Paul's heart. To, in his situation, to be able to see the, the positive in it. But, you know, towards, toward the end of his uh, third missionary journey, we read in Acts nineteen twenty one, it says, When these were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and, Ka- and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And at th- this point, Bear with me, I'm building a story here. This, this begins an account of the book of Acts where it's prophesied in many places where Paul goes. They're warning him that trouble is ahead, that trouble is ahead. And so on his return, return trip to Jerusalem, he, he stops to exhort the elders in Ephesus. And in Acts 20, 25 through 25, he shares, and it shares this, and see... Now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, 
except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. And, of course, this upsets those uh, in Ephesus. And we, uh, you know, we read the account. You know, they're weeping and they're praying over him. It's a very, very sad time as, as Paul's making his way to Jerusalem. And in fact, he really doesn't go to Ephesus, right? He's in a rush, so he, he goes around Ephesus and then calls the elders to him to, to, to share this. And then he continues on to Caesarea, where Philip... Um, is, has a ministry, and there a prophet by the name of Agabus uh, binds his hands and his feet with Paul's belt and prophesies when uh, prophesies, he says, thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And again, heaviness, weeping, trying to convince Paul do not do this, do not go, do not go. And but Paul's reply to them is, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And <laughs> how awesome. I mean, I wish I could be that cool, you know, to if I was going into a town and I knew that that was going to happen to me, I, 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 I don't think I'd go. Um, and uh, I know there's a lot of debate whether Paul was following God's will uh, in this, but I would, I would say that he was. Um, so from here, Paul cont- continues to Jerusalem, okay? And then he gets to Jerusalem, and there's been a lot of scuttlebutt rumor about what Paul has been up to. Right? And so he's, of course, he's been teaching that the Gentiles, you know, that the law is insufficient, and he's been preaching to the Jews the same, right? There's a new covenant. You, you know, the, you're not burdened by the law anymore. Of course, this caused a lot of problems with the, with the Jewish leaders, you know, because this was blasphemy to them. And so he comes into Jerusalem, and so James and the other leadership of the church are like, hey, this is what's going on, and when they find out you're here, there's going to be problems. So they say there was... Four, four young men who had taken a vow in, they said, go, go up to the temple and be cleansed and go through all that whole purification process so that they see that you still follow the Jewish tradition. And so he does. He goes up there, and as we're going to see, there's a, there's a repetition here. It doesn't work. Um, there, the, the Jews see him there, the Jewish leadership, and they start an uproar, and it gets crazy, crazy, crazy. And they, they try to kill him. And um, so they, uh, I'm sorry, missing my notes here. Um, they were obsessed almost, uh, trying to kill him and to shut him up. And so they, they go in and grab him in start beating him to kill him and causes great riot that it gets the attention of the 
the Romans, the commander of, of the area. And so a bunch of soldiers come down and, and they rescue Paul. And, of course, they, they're trying to figure this whole thing out. And um, so Paul tries to address the crowd again and to, to no avail. And so the, the Roman guards have to take him and uh, put him in a barracks to protect him. And then they bring him out again to try, you know, the next day to try to find the truth, what's going on, what's going on. And it's still, the Jews would hear none of it. They were like rabid dogs. They were obsessed with annihilating Paul in this gospel. Um, and so it goes through Felix and Festus and King Agrippa, all, all these these hearings, if you will. And... Um, and the, the Romans are like, we, we, you know, we don't have any, we, we don't have a case here. This guy hasn't done anything wrong, so they're trying to find a way to let him go. But the, the Jews were on his tail, and he didn't figure that he would ever get a true hearing in Jerusalem. So he makes his appeal to Caesar, right? We're all familiar with that. That he says, you know, I'm done. We've got to take this to the next level. I think this is the only way I'm going to get a real hearing. So... Paul's desire, as we read earlier in Acts, you know, I got to Jerusalem, then I got to go to Rome. So here he goes, and it's not the way he had intended. It's a free trip. It's on Rome's dime, but it's not how he hoped it would be. And uh, I, you know, pondering that, find it comical how God does that, how he thwarts our enemy. He this uproar, and you think we got him, think we got him, think we got him, and God uses that same thing to make his will work. You know, we, we can go to Joseph, right, and his slavery, all those things that went on, and the struggles he went through, but end up being the provision for the Israelites, right? The famine comes, God's already been out ahead of them, making a way. And then Moses, right, there's an edict to kill all the, all the boys, right? And so Moses' mom, you know the story, puts him in the basket in the river. Pharaoh's daughter grabs him. And he's raised in luxury in, in, uh, with, with, with Pharaoh and his, his household. And as we know how it goes, and he's, all this goes on, and ultimately he ends up being their deliverer. Right, so he, God's, there's an edict to, in effect, destroy Jews, to hold them back. God plucks out a man to live among them, to know their ways, to have um, status. Right? And he continues to work in, this, in Moses' heart that brings him back as a deliverer. And, and again, right, Satan all this time, he's always trying to destroy the Jew, trying to destroy the Jew, because that's where the Messiah will come. And... As they're leaving, the Egyptians are giving them wealth. Here, you're going to need this to build your new homes, to make your new country. Here you go, here you go. So again, God working all these things to provide for his plan. And um, I find it quite comical. You know, we got Jonah, right? He got a free trip to where he's supposed to be going in a whale. Nehemiah, right? He goes to King Xerxes, Artaxerxes, and pleads with him. And a pagan king finances the rebuilding of the wall. 
Only God can do stuff like this. And uh, I think it's quite funny, humorous. And then, of course, the stoning of Stephen in an effort to shut up, shut him up in what he proclaimed. And we read after his stoning and his death that there was, there was persecution, but all it did was push the Christians further out and the gospel spread further. And Satan just continually being foiled. Um, and, of course, the greatest of all, as we sang this morning, sending his son, his only son, to live among us to save us, right? Satan thought he had him. He thought he had it all under control, right? And in John 19, 1, it says, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivers me to you has the greater sin. So, again, the climax of messing with Satan, using death. Our God defeats death. And boys, what a, what a blessing it is to us. And so, going back to 12... Um, Paul speaks, you know, he says, I, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And in this, the word used for furtherance is like trailblazing, or, you know, we'd say, like, here, making a new road or a new trail or whatever. In the Romans, when they would go out, say, to conquer a place, they would just mow down the forest. There'd be people out at trailblazers that were making the way for them to get where they went needed to go. And so Paul is saying, all this craziness, all this stuff that's going on, all these trials and how I've been mistreated, and we know, we know of the boat ride, the boat ride to Rome, the, the shipwreck and people not listening to him, and all this struggle that goes on, and he finally gets there. He's saying, all of this, it was paving the road. I mean, the comedy of it is they were trying to kill me in Jerusalem. I get a paid trip to the most influential city in the world, the most powerful city in the world, and here I am. I'm making new, blazing new trails. So how about us? Right? 
are you blazing trail? Are you making new roads? Right? Can we look at our situation? And, and it is. You look at Paul. How easy could it have been for him just to sit there and wallow? Right? This is a, a number of years this has taken for him. And he sat for two years in Rome, chained to guards 24-7. That was his life. And a guy whose passion was to spread the gospel that the world would know. We have opportunities like that, brothers and sisters. Wherever we're at, and uh, we've we got to look for, well, in, in my line of work, we put flagging up. Surveyors mark it out, and there's flagging on trees and stakes, and we know, okay, this is where the road goes. We need to look for flagging. Where's my opportunity where I can... I can influence, I can impact, I can love somebody that nobody else loves. Or I can reach somebody who is. They're wallowing in their sin, their shame, they're lost, they're stuck, they have no hope. And here you sit. It may be, seem like a jail, it might seem like a jail sentence, but there you sit. Right? The same spirit that led Paul leads us. And... Um, and what a magnificent opportunity is for us that our day-to-day, our, what seems so mundane, could be ministry. Just by living our lives, being followers of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, says, So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Right? And so these guards, I'm sure it's been shared here before, the Praetorian Guard, like these were the elite they were like our Delta Force, our Rangers, SEAL Team, all these, these. These were the bad dudes, and they, they could get the job done. And it's kind of comical to me that they're the ones assigned to Paul to keep him a single guy. And, uh, and by this time, he's older, and it's, it's kind of crazy. Though I suppose they've heard about his jailbreaks, too, and figure they better keep a close eye on him. Um, but these were people of influence that were stuck to him 24-7. They say it was every six hours and there would be a new person, a new person. And I know, you know, Paul, Paul took advantage of this opportunity, so he's preaching Christ to these people and is saying that the whole palace guard, right, that they see that they're not keeping Paul there. It's not by their strength and the power of Rome it's Jesus Christ who has him there. And Paul is faithful in it. Into a soldier like that, that must have been quite impressive. But we, we read later in Philippians that it's, you know, the, the whole household of Caesar, you know, sends their greeting. And so we got this old guy sitting in a rented house, chained to guards, and he's trailblazing, and he's changing, he's changing, he's having impact. What a, just, what a cool cool picture and a cool life. Um, and uh, just a, another thing of note in studying this in Acts twenty eight sixteen, I find it cool after right, the shipwreck, they end up on the island and they get to wait for another ship. So it's a lot of time. They make their way to, to Rome. But when they get to Rome, the centurion took all the other pr- prisoners and sent them to the prison for the guards. But he kept Paul. He kept Paul with himself, and again, just to me, it's kind of speaking like, this guy's special, this guy's special, you, you stay with me. Um, and again, just 
speaking of God's goodness, uh, verse 14, And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And do we, I mean, we, we see this now, right? It happens to us. I know as a younger Christian, I'd be around people and watch them engage people, share their faith, whatever. As they did it, say, I went, I, I, I grew, you know, I, I became more bold, more comfortable, um, or <laughs> became, I guess, more comfortable with messing up. I don't have all the answers. I don't always get it right. I can't remember chapter and verse and do all those things. But by watching others, you know, some of them couldn't either, but they still were, were bold. Um, so, hold on just a second. I just got to review my notes, please. Okay. And so, I guess really to recap that, that block... I encourage you to be cognizant in myself for the opportunities, right? That doesn't seem, some things just don't seem right. It sees I'm a Christian. Why, God, why is this going on? Why is this happening to me, right? We love to ask that question. And it's frustrating because he doesn't always give us the answer. But we know that things are going to happen to us. We can't control our circumstances, but we can control what we do with them. We can control what it does inside we can control how we use that. And that's what Paul's done here. Right? As the saying goes, he's making lemonade out of lemons. And let's be like that. So moving on to verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Not that being under... Oops. <laughs> I just stretched right into my notes. Um, this, this breaks my heart. Right? Not that being under house arrest wasn't bad enough, that there were people in ministry who sought Paul harm. They, they, they wanted to hurt him. They wanted to diminish his ministry in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, and what a scathing, I don't know, allegation of the heart of man, you know, to, to use the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to harm another. Or that there would be, even be competition in the church. Um, it, it seems strange, but we know the church, leadership of churches are made up of Humans who have pride, who have egos, and uh, that can get in the way. And we know what happens. It happens today. And unfortunately, we, you know, we have church splits and uh, strife that goes on in, in the church bodies, and it uh, this striving, uh, if you will. But thankfully, there are those who do preach Christ sincerely, from goodwill and out of love. And this should be our heart as well, church. Right? We're fortunate. We have a pastor and his wife. This their heart. They serve out of goodwill, out of love. And so should we. Let it not be of us to backbite, to do anything that would hinder their call, their ministry. But 
only to come alongside and to help. Um, we don't know the half of what they, they go through. And um, unfortunately, they, they don't dump it on us because we probably couldn't handle it. But uh, I, I, just, I encourage you there if, there is, if there are things like that are in your heart, you know, approach them. Deal with those things. Or if it's somebody in the body to deal with those, don't let those things fester. Right? That the church that we would, it would be done with, with goodwill. Our service would be done in goodwill. Um, and so these people, though they want to hurt or embarrass or diminish Paul's ministry by having a so-called better ministry or a more effective ministry, but they didn't understand that Paul didn't care. Right? Their opinion of him, he really didn't care. He was sold out. Right? He already said, I don't care what's coming. I'm going to go. If it means I'm going to die, I'm going to die. But I'm going to do it for Jesus Christ. So th- this is peripheral to him. They weren't really getting any big digs into him. You know? So and then verse 18 says, you know, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. In this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. What a cool proclamation, right? Again, to be so sold out and not worried about what people are saying and what your ministry is perceived as. See, I don't care. They can do whatever, but if Jesus Christ is preached, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, and sometimes that, that's hard for us um, to, to accept. You know, and it, it really, it, it's the, go- the gospel is what matters, not the preacher, not the servant. And, you know, Paul died to himself long ago. Um, in reading a commentary, David Gutz, a commentary uh, on this passage of Scripture, he, he shares... Um, a paragraph here from A.W. Tozer in the book called The Price of Neglect, and I'll share it with you here. It's a little lengthy, but again, what a great heart. It says, Dear Lord, I refuse henceforth to compete with any of thy servants. They have congregations larger than mine, so be it. I rejoice in their success. They have greater gifts very well. That is not in their power nor in mine. I am humbly grateful for their greater gifts and my smaller ones. I only pray that I may use to thy glory such modest gifts as I possess. I will not compare myself with any, nor try to build up my self-esteem by noting where I may excel one or another in thy holy work. I herewith make a blanket disavowal of all intrinsic worth, I am but an unprofitable servant. I gladly go to the foot of the cross and own, and own myself the least of thy people. If I err in my self-judgment and actually underestimate myself, I do not want to know it. I purpose to pray for others and to rejoice in their prosperity as if it were my own. And indeed it is my own, if it is thine own, for what is thine is mine. And while one plants and another waters it, is thou alone that giveth the increased. What a great heart, right? All these things are going on, and not 
comparing, not striving, but just knowing that God has, has given us each gifts. And some are going to get limelight, some are not. Some are going to have thousands, some are going to have one. So be it. It's God's call. We're to be faithful. And uh, <laughs> thinking about this, um, came, there came an example that I've, I've used, and some of you may have heard me use it before. But when, when I was in college, there was a guy, was, I think the church was like the Berean church, and it was called, and on his, it was a mason, and he, he, there was a new building going up, and at lunch he would stand out in front of the, the library and the Bear's Den area, and he would read the Bible. He would read it very loud, but then sometimes he'd get excited, and he would start screaming at people. And when I was in college, I, I was pretty vocal about my faith and involved, and and so people would kind of pay up, like, "What's you're a Christian, this guy's saying he's a Christian, what's the gig? And I would be kind of like, Ugh, I don't, I really don't want to be associated with that, you know, and, and I, I do not doubt the guy's salvation. I just, calling out people's sins or judging the length of their skirts and stuff, I didn't think was really an effective means to win souls. But anyhow, but that's what he did. But there was a guy that most of you know who got saved through this man. This man witnessed to him and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he went home and he ministered to his family. His wife got saved. His kids got saved. They're all saved. They're involved in ministry. They're changing the world. They're changing lives. They're raising their kids up in the truth of the word, in Jesus Christ. So shame on me for criticizing how this guy was going about reaching. He got one that I know of, and there's a whole bunch that have followed after that I, that I know, that most of you know. And, um, and it kind of convicts me there a little bit. Um, and another, the, the scripture has, has really spoken to me. Um, and another area is the, the music that we have available to us. There is a lot of songs on the radio coming from a lot of people. And some of those churches, they're not sound. They do not teach the truth. They teach a partial doctrine or something altogether different. And so I've struggled because a lot of the songs are popular and well-liked. And I've, I've struggled what to do. And it, this section of Scripture actually gave me some, some, some clarity on this. And I take the lyric, I read it, and see, is there anything heretical in this? I mean, on its own, on its own merit, is this truth? And if it is, we sing it. If it's heresy, we don't. Um, because some of those songs, right, they minister to you. I, I won't name the, the music ministries where these songs come from, but you guys sing them, I sing them, 
and the Lord uses them in, in your life, right? You, this, that whole worship thing's going on with this. And so as Paul says, you know, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, I will rejoice. And, but with this, right, he is not giving a license or relaxing his stance on false teaching, Right in Galatians one six, uh, starting one six six through nine, it says, "I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed." As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Right? And so this, uh, he's drawing a distinction between heresy and then where, where we'll use these songs, for example, are, are coming from. Right? So truth with wrong motive, Paul can rejoice for the furtherance of the gospel because the Lord can deal with wrong motive. But false teaching or a false goth gospel, either with good or bad motive, must be stopped. Right? It can't go on me. It's destructive. It's hurtful. It divides churches. Um, so, moving on to verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And uh, again, that word magnified, whenever I read it, for whatever reason it kind of jumps out to me. That's why I love the song that Caleb uh, leads us in. And that... The idea you know, of to, to magnify something, right? We can take our magnifying glass and we can hold it up to things, and you know it's bigger, it's bigger. And I always wonder. So when the world takes their magnifying glass and they fix it on me, what do they see? Do they see Jesus as Jesus being magnified in me, or is there junk? Are there there things there that? Are inconsistent with this, this faith that I like to talk about and that I say that I live. And I hope not. That when they zoom in, go right in, that they see Jesus Christ. And for all of us, that we would magnify Christ. And uh, it's easy to do it here. Not so easy out there. And they will inspect They've got their magnifying glass out looking, right? Looking for an opportunity, looking for a failure, looking for a flaw, you know? And they'll probably find it, own it. Really, with that, even with this flaw, Jesus still loves me. Jesus still uses me. He's my champion. So, moving on. Um, so, verse 21 for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. <sighs> I 
what is so funny is this was supposed to be like the big thing of the teaching. And it's 12 past. <laughs> Anyhow, let's go. Uh, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. A heavy scripture to contemplate. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? It's one of the many blessings of salvation. We don't have to fear death. We may fear dying. Like sometimes you can think about the method, like, eh, I don't want that, God. But death has no hold. We sang it this morning. It's defeated foe. We need not fear. Verse 22, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. You know, and Paul is freed. He goes before Nero, and he's let go. Right? So he does, and it, it seems that Paul did go back and see the Philippian church. And, but then he was brought back, and Nero had him beheaded. But Paul is very honest in his struggle here. I really like you guys. I really love you guys. But I'd really like just, I'd like to go be with Jesus. But again, in a typical Paul, selfless way. But it's better. It's better that I stick around and minister to you. There's more work to be done. And again, I swing this to us. Who benefits from us? Who benefits from you? hanging out with you, listening to you. And I don't say any of this is to judge or anything harsh. I just think we need to be cognizant of it, right? God's, we're trailblazers. God's got us going all these places. He's got us. We all have different things going on in life, and we're there for a reason. He has work to do. He has lives to change. And as Paul's in here, you know, he, he knows, okay, I'm here for your benefit. And we are too. We're here for somebody's benefit. And um, really, a lot of somebody's. Um, But then, going back to verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We as Christians are the only ones who can make such a proclamation. Right? Right? You know, and I'm sure you've been through this already when this has been taught. Fill in the blank, right? For to me, to live is blank and to die is gain. And we like to put a lot of things up there, right? It might be popularity, right? It might be acceptance, right? That is, you know, to live is that, that acceptance. But when I die, what is it? Riches. You'd be wealth, 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 and you die. It doesn't do you any good, right? Power. 
When you die, it's all done. And there's no gain in death and anything else but a life lived for Jesus Christ. It's the only one. And um, I encourage you to consider that. You know, it's, what, what is in that blank? And let, let the Lord um, work and search. Everything else, well, I'm going to rub this from a text that Pastor Brian sent me this morning. You know, any other thing in that blank is counterfeit. It's counterfeit. It may promise all this great stuff, great stuff, but it doesn't have, it can't fix death. It cannot fix eternity and where you will be. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ can do that. And it, this gospel message and the power of such a simple message. I know mostly, I think most of you are saved. But we know a lot of people that aren't. And they, they, need, they need this, right? You see them. They're trying to fill that blank with so many things. And they work so hard at it. They strive. They devote so much of themselves to it. And at the end, it's so unfulfilling. And here we walk beside them with the, the riches of eternity. So, I encourage you to... Again, and I, I know I hit on this a lot, whether it's here at small group, but you're made for a purpose. You where you are on purpose. And you serve a great God. So be released. Go do it. And uh, let's change the world. So let's pray. Father, you've, uh, you've overheard. And Lord, you know where the where the words landed and I, I pray that it would take root or that there would be something new something fresh something or that would ignite a fire or that would encourage or that would mend or heal or that would free the hearts of my brothers and sisters Lord, continue your work in us and may we be faithful. And Lord, may we serve with goodwill, with pure hearts, with a pure motive, and not self-seeking and striving and competing with our brothers and sisters, but to serve as a body. Lord, as you taught us, Lord, the, a hand is not much good without a, an arm. Lord, and a leg's not much good without a hip. Lord, we all have a purpose. So have your way in us, Lord. May your will be done. May you be exalted in our lives. Lord, when the world pulls out their magnifying glass, may they see you, may they see light. In your great name we pray, Lord Jesus, our King. Amen.
Thank you, church.